You see, how'd you guys let me beat you on that one? Come on. There's no liars in this game. Just players. The seat taken. Nobody's in the seat that I ain't taken from. So this is, uh, Sabak? Sabak. Sabak. Got it. You played before? A couple times, yeah. Captain Lindo Karazi. On solo. Looks like you're uh, having a good day. I'm a lucky guy. Expect me to talk? Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, rather sniffly this evening, apologies. And I am joined by, as ever, with my co host Chris and Dave, who are very non sniffly, which is very good. Good evening, folks. We were when we heard one of the, our number was sniffly. We we had high hopes, but it wasn't Charlie. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us on this Star Wars extravaganza, we have music journalist and film score genius extraordinaire Charlie Brigden. Hello. Hello. I'm trying not to be full of cold this evening, so you have to excuse me. It's okay. All right, no problem. Anyway, as promised last time, we are reviewing Solo, a Star Wars story. Starring a lot of unpronounceable names, so I'll do my best. Alden Ehrreich, Woody Harrelson, Emilia Clark, Dandy Newton, Donald Glover, Jonas Surtomu, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and many more. Written by Lawrence and Bill original score by John Powell, directed by Ron Howard, and released 2018. Like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, released like the other, you know, last month. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we've kind of fallen between stools here, because like, most of us have, have seen it uh, well, we've all seen it. A couple of us have seen it more than once, but it wasn't like when we did Bond and like came straight out of a viewing. So we've we've all seen it like a good few days ago now, at least. Yeah, we staggered it. Do, we'll do our best with this. Um, worth mentioning, just uh, not to question Becca's cast list, but I'm not sure if she mentioned Paul Bettany. Worth no, I did not. I missed him out. Worth mentioning just because he is a pretty major character in this, and actually um, a replacement. The original mm. uh, character, the, the the same character possibly with very different characteristics, but uh, the same name of character in the same role under the Lord and Miller version, and we'll talk about the making of the film in a little bit, was um, played by Michael K. Williams, which would have been a very, very different uh, take on it, I imagine. That would have been very different. Mm. Yeah, I didn't miss him out on purpose. I just, when it has a long cast, I try to round it up or down as best I can, but I just accidentally missed him out. Apologies. When we come to do the Marvel series, it'll be like deep breath, and then I read out all the names (laughs) on (laughs) imdb.com. Just mention Paul Bettany every week, then. To be I shall. Sure. <laughs> I quite like him. He's quite good in uh, all the many films that he's done, apart from that one about tennis. Wimbledon. Well, Wimbledon. Was... <laughs> Wim- yeah. Wim- Wimbledon had um, some of the worst CG I've ever seen, and it was just the, the tennis balls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, yeah. They just looked CGI really fucking balls. weird. Very strange. But, um, anyway, no, he's generally amazing. Yeah. Now, this, of course, is this is a, one of those films that happens now and again, relatively rarely, but. A bit Superman 2 style, uh, but even more so, it's been substantially reshot. This is not the film we would have got. They'd shot nearly all of it with Lord and Miller, directors of most famously the Lego movie. And they were fired with about 80% of this film in the can. And of course, that's why Michael K. Williams isn't in the new version, because there were scheduling conflicts. Um, and then they brought in Ron Howard to reshoot 
the same script. So in some respects, this is the film we would have got, but obviously in sensibility, performances and a couple of castings, it isn't. So it is pretty much, it is the same story we would have got, yeah. but it would have been played more as comedic. Because yeah. that was the problem, was that they were supposedly deviating from Kasdan's script. What I heard, um, and I think we've all read different things, so feel free to chip in, disagree, add to what I'm saying, or anything like that. I've heard a couple of, of, of um, contradictory things, because in one place I read, or oh, their version would have been darker. Don't believe that for a second. <laughs> um, but um, I just think darker is a word people throw out when they're talking oh. about filmmaking. It depends on yeah. dark in what terms, like what sense. Well, what mean. I did hear oh, yeah. was that they were, it was a couple of things, they were doing a shot of the script every time. They were doing a take of the script at least every time. And then they were doing takes where they were encouraging the actors to uh, ad-lib and just make it up as they go along and throwing in jokes and all the rest of it. And as they went along, there was a bit of consternation at this to start with. But as it went along, apparently this was just ramping up. They were they were reluctantly doing like a single take of the script and then countless takes of, of just ad-libbing and everything else. Uh, it certainly pissed off Jonathan and Lawrence Kasdan. Um, it pissed off the producers. And it was confusing the cast, but also the editors were getting involved and saying, well... Um, we're not sure we're getting an acceptable take for, for even for coverage to cut it together with what they've already shot. Mm. There were complaints. And again, I want to be very careful with this because you can act. I know we, we don't have the biggest audience, but I think in being responsible, we've got to be careful how we report this bit. Alden Ehrenreich was supposedly having to have acting lessons. Now, some of the most, um, some of the more irresponsible, outlets were reporting that almost as is and just saying well he was giving a terrible wooden awful performance as we got into the ron howard sort of redo of this film the way it started to be reported was that it was more about capturing enough of the flavor of the character and little elements of of um harrison ford's take on the character so it was less about him giving a poor performance and more about giving him giving a character performance. Um, we'll never quite know the truth of that, but Alden Ehrenreich is certainly not a poorly thought of actor. I think it did feed into some of the sort of trolls out there who wanted that other guy who looked a bit more like Harrison Ford. But I'm per- I, I'm per- I, would, I would yeah, be more inclined to believe that. I mean, you know, I've seen him in a few other films and yeah. you know, he's, he's pretty solid. Um, so I think it was more impressions just... of him. Yeah, it's like, but he was more like an impressionist than anything. That's the point. I think the, the analogy I would give here is when Danny Boyle did his Steve Jobs film, he cast um, Michael Fassbender, who looks nothing like Steve Jobs. Mm. If you want a lookalike, you go and cast Aston Kutcher, who yeah. did do another version of that yeah, film. Yeah, no? he did. He did Aston, he Kutcher, like Aston Kutcher is in no respect as a com- comparable talent to Michael Fassbender. Now, I don't want to talk about that other actor particularly because I don't know much of his stuff, but a straight impression is not generally the way to go. No, no it's not something you want to do, is it? I mean, it's like somebody like Aaron White did... He, he, I would say he did create enough of the flavour of um, a solo, but also he put his own stamp on it as well, which is a mm. lot... You know, he's, he's basically he's filling up some, some big shoes. It's like In my time, view... Every time somebody what... takes on Bond, or if, say, for example, if there's a new Indiana Jones, for example, stepping into the role of an iconic character, 
but I think he managed to kind of do the do the double as it were and pull it off and create his own stamp on it too. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought going in. Like watching, as I was watching it, it was um, like, okay, how do I take this? And I just thought, yeah, it's just like watching a new Bond, and you just go, right, well, you know what? Harrison Ford's pretty unique, and you can't just get a guy to just do an impression, you know, regardless of who that actor is. So how do you play this? And in the end of the day, you have to like maybe just go fuck it, just play play a Han Solo type character, but in different interpretation. Um, but yeah, probably... I mean, sorry, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, this this is however many years before Star Wars. So it's not the same character anyway. You're not playing Harrison Ford as he is. You're yeah, playing no. Harrison Ford as he was. Mm. Yeah. So <sighs> I mean, the, the problem is there are certain like like. Um, like character traits, like in terms yeah. of like how, how he like it, how he delivers lines, his drawl, or how he holds himself to get. You know, there is a certain aspect of Harrison Ford that isn't there with here, but it's it's you can't just do an impression of Harrison Ford, otherwise it, the performance won't be there. I mean, I, the only thing I will say, yeah, it's like a young person, but how long ago is this from New Hope? I'm not entirely sure. How old is eight, Han Solo? Eight, eight to ten years, I think. Eight to ten years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just it seems to be yeah okay maybe but I don't know maybe may, they might do like another another few films of this which I won't object to. They might do that growth into that character, but then who knows? It's not done that well though. Well, I think uh, I mean we'll get into first thoughts in a minute, so I'm going to be careful how much I say here. But I think I think sequels would play better. I think because the first film when you think you might only make one because you're doing these sort of Star Wars stories and then you might move on to something mm. else. Um, they they got entirely too caught up in what they wanted to reference. And I think with second and third films, you'd be less inclined to do that. You'd be right, we've got our character and we've got, you know, Chewie and we've got whatever it is you want to put into the new films. Let's like, just tell an original story. Yeah, like The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Last Jedi, whatever you think of it, took a lot more chances. Because exactly, of the because Force The Force, Force Awakens had established. Yeah. So, um, I think in terms of the tone, there were little things where Ron Howard is not a comedic filmmaker particularly. There's sometimes a bit of a lightness of tone. I, I will talk about Ron Howard a little bit in a minute because I think he's poorly served by his general reputation, which is almost damning with faint praise, but I'll come mm. on to that. Um, the, the shot where I thought on second viewing, I thought, hang on a minute, that would have been a big joke if the Lord and Miller team had done it, mm. is when he signs up, and we'll get onto that scene in a while, because I don't like that scene much, no. but he's, t he's told, you'll be flying in no time, and the next shot is three years later, and he's launched through the air by an explosion. That's a joke. That's you'll be flying in no time. And I didn't spot it as such because Ron Howard doesn't have a particularly comedic sensibility. The one thing I will just quickly say about Ron Howard, though, is I've lost count of the number of times now I've heard the term safe pair of hands, dependable, those sorts of things. And I think that really does play down his talent level. And, and calling him in to do a film like this and rescue it, it's become good old dependable Ron. I think when it comes to someone like Ron Howard, and you, and you are right, um, I think when you think of a safe pair of hands as opposed to someone who has a unique vision, like Ron yes. Howard is not someone you can, you you necessarily think of 
like has has a distinctive look or feel to his films, but he is a very he makes he makes very well crafted films. But I'm uh, not sure. I'm not really sure how many directors do have that. You know, well, that's a good have point. Gone, well, yeah. What about? And they. It's like auteurs, isn't it? I podcast on this film briefly. Well, I wasn't about this film. It's about other things. But I was podcasting with James Murphy, and he said, he said much what you've just said. And I said, but and I said what I just said. Well, most directors don't. And he said, well, Tim Burton. And I'm thinking, well, that's a pretty extreme example. You know, of of a, of a director that just constantly looks like them, <coughs> Anna Tarantino and people like that. Most directors are a little bit more malleable than that. But I just wanted to like point out before we go into this film. Yeah, I mean, you know, it 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 can it does depend because you're also doing like a big, massive, big budget franchise film as well. So if if you do have someone who who has that uh more distinct look, um, like I think we were talking about just. Just before recording, sorry for listeners who not heard it, but about uh, uh, the new Jurassic Park film. Now you could say that director has a has a distinct look and feel with, with his previous work, but at the same time he's doing a big blockbuster film, so he has certain parts where it's like you see, yes, you see that director, but overall the film is still just a big massive blockbuster. So you've got to be a bit careful with that. But when I'm looking at, you know, there's a lot of his films I don't like. And most of the time I just think, yeah, they're all right about what he's produced. But if I look at just the last 10 years, certainly Frost, Nixon and Rush are two of of the better films I've seen in that period. I would agree. Um, I'm not overly fond of his uh, Dan Brown stuff. Um, But going back a bit further, there's normally a a sort of sepia-toned warmth to him, his stuff. Cinderella Man does look like it's from the same director as a beautiful mind it does um and i would say they are both plausibly from the same director as apollo 13 so not quite true but all i wanted to say is this is a quite an accomplished director right the way back to sla- uh, splash i knew you said slash that would have been a different that would have <laughs> that would have been a different film that would have been a very different i've still film. not seen splash you know it's one of those things i need to get on but um yeah maybe we'll do it one day yeah, we'll cover the Splash series. With, yeah, right. with the Splash, Splash 2 with Amy Yazbek. <laughs> uh, no, no, and, films and, in general. And, and it's like Team Wolf 2, it's Splash T double O. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that type of film, is it? Yeah, but uh, this, is, this is far from an unaccomplished filmmaker. Um, and to step in at this stage of the game was oh. really uh, brave, I think, because it, it, it would only have sort of stood out by going wrong, if anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Ron Howard had, had much to really lose. I think it was more of like, oh, Ron, do us a favour. He's like, yeah, sure, okay, I'll, I'll step, I'll step in. I mean, if look, had it had this gone like really bad, um, I, you know, I don't think he's at Ron Howard's at the stage now where he's not going to be too damaged from it. He'll just move on. And particularly with the production history, he's kind of got a get out clause. Like, okay, well, you know, it was trouble from the offset, so that's. That's where you are of it. Um, I've just noticed he's directed the Beatles, the Eight Days a Week um, documentary. That's oh, pretty yeah, good. Oh yeah, about that. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. I didn't even know. Mm. Um, and I didn't see that. Solo was not also not his first Lucasfilm film he directed as well because he did Willow. Willow. Of course he did. Yeah, which is a film I can barely remember because I think I saw it when it was like two or three years old. Yeah. So I would have saw it, seen it in my early mid-teens. Yeah, 1988. I, I don't remember much about it, except that like I had a real thing for Joanne Wally at that age. Hmm. Um, but I don't remember much of it. There's, there are talk of there, there's talk of sequels to that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, 
you know, so yeah, an accomplished filmmaker, a safe pair of hands, but all of those epithets are true, but we just got to be a bit careful that we don't just box him down as just that. Yeah. No, well, I, I think I think the main thing is he's a competent filmmaker. Like, yeah. he, he, you know, he's he's not he's not someone who is usually known for making like a crap film. Yeah. But I would recommend Rush to anybody. 2013 Chris Hemsworth Daniel Brühl film about the Nicky Lauda James Hunt 1976 Formula One season. Now, you don't need to be a fan of Formula One. The film gives you everything you need to know. But during that season, August the 1st at the Nürburgring, uh, Nicky Lauda's crashed and his car caught fire. And he was severely burnt inside and out. His lungs were full of crap and all the rest of it. He was read the last rites. He missed two races and managed to uh, lose the title only by a point. Incredible, um, incredible um, bravery, full stop, to come back from that. And if I look at the last 10 years or so, I was I was very fond of Frost Nixon as well. Yeah, I also Michael kind Sheen of see my praise for those films as well. They're really good. I mean, I, I know a lot more about Frost Nixon than I do Formula One, um, but I was really surprised by Rush. Like I say, I went in kind of not... I, I knew the names, um, but I didn't know very much about their rivalry and their relationship. But I was, yeah, I really enjoyed that film. Um, but yeah, Frost Nixon, it, it was incredible. It was one of the best films about the movie most famous interview yes absolutely one thing, I will say, one thing that does occur to me is his career trajectory is not unlike that of tom's hanks yeah. because you look yeah. early on and he's doing stuff like splash and cocoon and willow parenthood very warm family films and then he goes a bit blockbusterish with backdraft and <clears throat> far and away um and then, <laughs> backdraft is brilliant and then sort of around the mid 90s he starts chasing sort of more oscar baity fare like apollo 13 and so on and as, and yeah there is there is an arc to his career certainly they're pretty much of that same of that same era not the same genre then but yeah of that same kind of era aren't they so they kind of follow quite a similar path but now so, they're kind of like very stately figures within within cinema, so they can they can pursue the higher higher tier projects. Absolutely, and he's also the father of Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. who's just absolutely shat the bed in the new <laughs> world film. Which is shit. Not her she's fault, doing, Lassiter. Very well, you know. Anyway, so not her fault. She's very good in it. She's very good in everything. Yeah, she's in very fact, talented. But in fact, she's one of the it. best performances I've ever seen from her was one of her first in um, in the village. She was terrific in that. Whatever you think of the film. Um, yeah. Actress, definitely, but just happens to be in a rubbish film. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's open up, up, up some sort of opening thoughts on this film. I guess I, I'm quite happy to start in, in saying that um, I think I refer you back to stuff I've said in the two episodes leading up to this. This is not the start, the sort of thing I want Lucasfilm to be doing. Um, in, in general terms, I do not want to see the people we know the early years. I think that is just shrinking the universe. And it gives us the same problems you've got with the prequels, that everything then takes on the air of lore. So, you know, the dice that have been kind of throwaway until The Last Jedi at best. They were there. They were there. They definitely were there. But if you try watching these films in sort of chronological order, as in when they're set in the Star Wars universe, you would look at it and go, what's the deal with this fucking dice? Um, You've got, you know, the Kessel Run was a thing, so we had to see that. We had to see how... Chewie and Han met. Um, I've got some thoughts on that in a minute, but you know, all of those sorts of things are not what I want. I think the Star Wars stories are an opportunity to broaden out the universe and tell little stories and, and experiment with genre and fill in little bits that maybe were a line in a crawl like like Rogue One, where you know broadly the outcome, but you have no idea how. 
So Rogue One, we had no idea the, the, the spoiler alert, the cast were all going to die in that at all. We just knew that the... Now, if you thought about it long enough, you go, well, we never met any of them, so possibly. But we didn't really know. Uh, we just knew that they got those plans out. We didn't know quite where the plans were. We didn't know what the environment was like. We didn't know what the challenges would be like to getting them. You know, we didn't know how long this took place before episode one, uh, episode four, et cetera, et cetera. So in theory, I think this is actually, and this is the nastiest thing I'll say tonight because I'll be relatively positive about the film, but I think this is lazy, pandering filmmaking. Uh, but I do feel sorry for Lucasfilm because they can't win. You know, when they do make something like The Force Awakens, they're copying themselves and they make something like this, they're just pandering. But when they do try to do something like The Last Jedi, they're slaughtered for that. So I do understand that it's very difficult to be in their position. But I just think this is the last thing you do. Don't give us a fucking Boba Fett film, please. I beg you. I'll go and see it and I'll watch it with an open mind as I did this. But it's not the way you should be going. It really, really isn't. That said, in, in execution, um, broadly speaking, I would just call this film like decent. Uh, there were bits of it I really liked. Overall, I, I thought I was quite underwhelmed by it. And I think um, underwhelmed by key bits of it because... There's an action sequence set around a train earlier in the film, and there's nothing about that action sequence that is substandard, but I was completely ungripped by it. Now, I don't know if that's because I know the main characters survive, or whether I'm just a bit burnt out on various bits of action, or whether it just is a bit underwhelming. I don't know. What I will say is um, I was really edgy on the whole let's show how him and Chewie met, and I thought that was terrific. I thought that was one of the best sequences of the film. I think the cast are very good. I think the story's very good. Um, but it's making lore of everything. And you end up almost overthinking yourself as well. Because they introduce a love interest for him. But he's got a history with fans with Leia. So you can't overdo that. So they end up kind of separating them. And there's a lot about this film that just feels a bit awkward and self-conscious. But with its... Um, production history it's a bit of a miracle actually it's come out really decent and for everything i've just said you'd be hard pressed not to have a decent time with this film yeah i'm, I'm inclined to agree with most of what you said dave really uh i think in terms of like the action sequences i think they're, they're probably the poorest aspect of the film they just feel very kind of generic and there's not no real excitement in them um but you know as a film it's fast paced it's entertaining enough the, there's nothing's too like sacrilegious. Uh, I would prefer not to have seen the castle run personally. Uh, I agree. I'd, I'd rather. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I, I just like more like the idea of it being like this vague term that we don't really quite understand. But you know, now now we know what it is. It, I'm still like, okay, well, the, the mystique of it's gone. Um, I do agree that um, the best aspect is the Han and Chewie um, stuff. That's all handled really well. Um, I've watched it twice, and it worked. It did work better on a second watch. Um, and, I agree with that too. And I think, and 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 for the well, on the second watch, I kind of sat there thinking, you know what? I'd be happy to watch a sequel because I'd be happy to see where this goes. Even though, of all the problems of building on previous characters and and maybe sort of just like damaging like the further reputation with another series, but I'm willing to just kind of like keep them separate if need be. But we're you know, we're, we're unencumbered from law now. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't kill Han, obviously, unless they make it some kind of Elseworlds or, you know, f parallel universe or something, which mm. they wouldn't. But I genuinely, I feel the same way as I did just 
we, we were talking before we went on air about the new Jurassic World film, and three of us, two of us, have, Chris, have you seen it? What, the Jurassic The new Jurassic World. Oh, yeah. Yeah, three of us have seen it, Charlie hasn't yet, and we were, we were just talking in general terms of disappointment about it, but I was saying that I think the film sets up, the third film will be better than the second, um, if it happens, and I feel the same, a little bit like that about this, that... For for everything that's happened with it, I don't think it will get another instalment. But I think when they stop going in thinking, we must show the dice, we must show the Kessel Run, we must show how they meet, we must show him meeting Lando, we must show a couple of him shots, shots of him standing with the blaster looking like Harrison Ford. Once they're unencumbered of that, there's enough chemistry between the two leads that I think they could make an excellent second instalment. Mm. I probably would like to see a Lando film. That's my wish to come out of this film. What did you think of this film, Becca? Um, no, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm with you and Chris on this one. There are certain aspects to it which, you know, they, they have to jump through those hoops. They have to show how this happened, how that happened. Um, and I'm the same like with the Castle Run as well, especially because there's a whole, you know, I'll pass it as a measure of, of, of distance or, or time, um, which is like my dad's big bear. And he was like, hold on a minute, they got that wrong. Obviously, having grown up with the original trilogy in, in the 70s and 80s. Um, yeah, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Once they jumped through those hoops, once they got the certain character aspects out of the way, it was fairly enjoyable. Um, it whizzed along at a really good pace. Um, great character, um, great characters, great performances. I say Paul Bettany, who I missed out on the cast list, um, was really quite a menacing and creepy character. Um, loved L3, brilliant, amazing performance from Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um, uh, Amina Clark, very great. Uh, I've not seen very much of great, um, Game of Thrones, but she was amazing in whatever she does. Um, interesting fun fact about her later on. Um, and yeah, I, I, just, I, I did enjoy it. Um, but again, it's just one of those things where like they have to show how they met. And it's interesting how obviously, you know, in the early part of the film when they first meet, he actually speaks Kashikian, Kashikis. I don't know. Um, and we never see it again. And it's like, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you're speaking, bit... you're speaking my language from now on, bitch. Yeah, this is it. You're going to speak <laughs> or I'm going to speak English my own language. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're going to speak English and I'm just going to understand you like I've got a Babel fish in my ear. So, yeah, that was a bit strange. Um, but no, apart from that, I still find it enjoyable. They just had to jump through jump through a few hoops um, and kind of do, do a lot of box-ticking admin to get out of the way first. But no, overall, very enjoyable. And I still want to see that Lando film. Like a Han Han and Lando buddy film. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be good fun. The film cost 700 million to make because of the cape budget. (laughs) (laughs) He had an extended cape budget, I'm sure. Yeah, Charlie? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah, there are kind of the the general conceits, like you said, that they had to to deal with, but I thought they dealt with those fairly well. Um, I'm kind of treating it almost like a book or a comic. It's kind of like, because it is a spin-off, because it is separate from the main saga, um, then it kind of has that different feel to me where kind of like they can have a bit more fun with it and uh, not take themselves so seriously. And also I, I like it because it's essentially a Western and that kind of then like, that reminds me of Han in the first Star Wars anyway. Um but yeah, no, I, th- I thought it was really nicely shot. Um, all the performances were were, were fine. Um, definitely, Aaron Reich I thought was was really good, and uh, you can see kind of inklings of kind of 
the Han he would become without being just a, like a Harrison Ford analogue. Um, and uh, again, nice to see a lot of creatures. That was cool. Um, and yeah, no, so I just I just really enjoyed it. Not massively fan on f- fan of the uh, the end reveal, but uh, we'll come to that. I thought that was fucking ridiculous, but we'll come to it. Not who it was, but the the, the way it was shot. We'll come. Oh to yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. There was a couple of things in it. I was like, yeah, we got it, you twats. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get to that. Like, yeah, um, you, think... yeah, you want to see the lightsaber, don't you? Here it is. I know we talked a little bit before we got into first thoughts, but Charlie was the only one who had the presence of mind to mention Iron Reich's performance. I would just add to that. I think he was terrific. Mm, no, I'd say he's really good as well. I really enjoyed yeah. his performance, and I knew that he wasn't like the first choice. But I'm kind of glad they went with him. Like for me, I was like, oh, you know, a bit of a left field um, selection. I think he was the producer's first choice. I don't think he was the fans' first choice. But no, but I, I'm before, glad. But... I'm glad that he, they stuck with it. And you know, yeah. he's he's a defender actor, and the films that I've seen him in, he hasn't done a bad movie just yet. So, fingers crossed. Yeah, I liked him as that. Though I was a bit like worried. Well, I was a bit concerned. Maybe is he right for Han? I'm not sure. I like him as an actor, but I reserved like judgment to like see it. You know, to be proved wrong. But as I said before, I think. When you have the mindset of uh, it kind of be like a new Bond, and as Charlie said, like you know, it is a spin-off. So I think you have to allow a certain disconnect for create for a bit more creativity for the artistic license. Can't Bond. get Harrison Ford back and have him going. Yes, I'm twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Harrison Ford desperately wants to like you know, be out of the franchise. Harrison, come back and do this new young CGI bit, bit shit. Just, <laughs> oh, do what they did with Martin Crane and Fraser and put some like black hair dye on him, and every time he gets off a seat, he leaves like a mark there with it or something. <laughs> no, no, I'm twenty two. <laughs> yeah. All right. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yes. All right. I'm I'm really gutted. There's no call for Charlie to do in like fucking. Well, there <laughs> is. There is kind of. It, there is. It's it's a crawl. It's just not done in the crawl style. Right. Okay. It's got the it's got the three, um, the the, the three paragraphs as you have the crawl. It's even got the ellipsis afterwards. So you're saying that if the, if you're saying there's an opening crawl, Charlie, can we have it in French, please? Absolutely. Absolutely more. <laughs> C'est un temps sans loi, l'iton un continuant expliquer que les syndicats criminels revisent pour les ressources et apprennent les pauvres. Han, un jeune homme que Corellia qui, comme beaucoup d'autres effolins, se trouve condamné de surveiller caprice de la force Lady Proxima. Un jeune homme se bat pour survivre, mais espère le voler parmi les étoiles qu'on coûte hier. There we go. It's not even a crawl, and he still managed to do one in a new language. I love this new segment of hearing Charlie read the crawl in multiple languages. Okay, for those who don't know, that's basically, I think we. I think it says something like, it's a lawless time, um, how, uh, crime syndicates compete for resources and oppress the poor. Into this comes Han, a young man from Karelia, who, like many other orphans, finds himself to concern, condemned to serve the whims of foul Lady Proxima. A young man fights survival, but f- longs to fly amongst the stars. Because he's just a young man with a dream. He is, he wants to be a pilot. Yeah, he's basically Oliver start this film. He is, pretty much, isn't he? That's Oliver true. would have been a shit pilot. <laughs> oh. 
More boy? Hey, he went on to father Michael Jackson's kid, didn't he? Really? The one from the 1968 oh, yes. Oliver is the um, uh, blood father of like is Michael Jackson's daughter. Yeah. There you go. That's Very fun, good. folks. That's fun fact. Chop them all. So is Lady Proxima Fagan. <laughs> in theory, yes. In theory, yes. Okay. The, uh, one of the first things I heard in, in complaints about this film was a lot complained about the cinematography, and I've got no idea why. Because I think it's well, I know I know why they're complaining, but I can't see it. Lots of complaints: this film's too dark, and there's not enough uh, detail in the actors' faces Whoa. because it's shot so dark. And I didn't see that at all, which is ridiculous. Because it was so dark. Um, I think what happened. I think what's happening was, and um, we're seeing this a lot in general is that cinemas are not when they're showing 3d films and 2d films they're not taking the 3d lenses off so as a result the the film is projected darker than it generally would be for a 2d film but a 30 percent light loss anyway it was it was projected darker but i didn't see any loss of like detail yeah i mean the the film is is because it's a a film about the criminal underground it's, it's supposed to be dark yeah and bradford young who is the cinematographer is amazing. Um, I mean, he did Arrival, um, which was a beautifully shot film. Definitely. And um, I mean, he's won tons of awards, and yeah, he's just he's a really good. Um, Looking at him now, he also shot his other two well-known films would be Selma mm. and A Most Violent Year, which we, yeah, which we referenced last week talking about Oscar Isaac. Yeah, because it's set in about 1981, and he plays a character that. Had they made it forty years before, would definitely have been offered to Al Pacino. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I, I thought that the cinematography was wonderful. Yeah, and I yeah. Sorry. No, no. I was just agreeing with you. I think it's a great looking film. Yeah, I thought it was really strange to see people complaining about it as well, yeah. and uh, just just really strange. But yeah, no. I, I thought it really captured that kind of underground feel and the western feel as well with the with the scenes on. Um, Whichever planet had the snow on and whichever planet had the sand on. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously not Hoth and Tatooine. But, but yeah, stand-ins for such, yes. Yes. Um, we'll come to that in a minute because it's probably, probably named. We, we do have to have kind of, um, what's it called? We, we've got sort of um, synopsis of the plots in front of us and stuff like that because we, we've seen it in, you know, it's a few weeks now, folks. I was a little bit worried at the start of this film, I have to say. We, we open on Corellia, which is kind of never how, not how I ever pictured it, but that's fine. That's for the filmmakers to show us their vision of it. And we've got Han on a bit of a caper. And I suppose that's the Bond pre-title of this film, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's I would it. say the same. But it's not set up like that in some respects because there's no disconnect from the rest of the story, really. I was a bit worried that we're going to get a load of who cares stuff, yeah. but it was okay. It was okay. Uh, they're stealing coaxium. It's basically a hyperspace fuel. Um, and we do see Lady Proxima, don't we? Yeah, I really liked that. I thought it was really um, a, another cool. Practical well, I like effect. the idea that he's got a thermal detonator in his hand. It's just a rock. <laughs> I mean, some of the callbacks work because we know what a thermal detonator looks like, and he's holding something that's the right sort of size and shape, yeah. but it's just a rock. 
I like that. I like that. And um, he, make, he makes so, the sound of it with his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, did you make the sound of that? Yes. <laughs> no. And so there's a big sort of chase now for them to escape. Uh, is this the bit with the uh, diamonds are forever bit, Becca? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid during the scene when he makes his escape in the speedo, um, my brain was elsewhere. Um, I've been we've been chatting about this. Okay, so there's a bunch of us JBR listeners that have an epic chat thread on Facebook. Um, and a few of those guys saw the film before me and they were like, oh yeah, there's a kind of, there's a stunt in there which is a little bit like the um, the, the scene with the Mustang where Bond drives through a narrow alley on two wheels in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. So I was already pre-programmed to look out for that stunt. So that was why my brain went there and not Empire, sadly. But yeah, no, there's a scene where he, he does drive through a, a narrow alley at an angle and I thought, oh, that's a Diamonds Are Forever moment. Which well, isn't a callback to Diamonds first, Are Forever, but that's what it reminded me of. Is Becca messages messaged us and said, "Did you see the Bond reference?" And me and Chris went, "When Charlie's no. fault, when we're building up to ch- involving Charlie, we've got a thread to Charlie on it. But obviously, we don't keep him on a thread for the six months that like he's not involved in the show. So this was on the thread of the three of us. And me and Chris went back and said, "What? What are you on about?" <laughs> and then she went to the scene, and I'm like. That's an empire reference. Yeah, obviously it was an reference to empire, but because I had been pre-programmed to look for this particular reference yeah, by a certain no, group of people, absolutely, my brain went elsewhere. But no, it was definitely, it was definitely more obviously an empire reference. It's not going to reference a completely different. And here's me wondering, thinking I don't remember a homosexual hitman team in this. Kid double X, RTD two, and I didn't have a massive problem with this scene, but it does hit on the general problem that that. I think Lucasfilm think the solo name by itself is enough. Well, he hasn't got the name yet. We'll come to that in just a minute. Mm, I've got the, a big problem the, about the, that the, the character name is enough for us to care. But this is a new iteration of Han. We don't know who he's with. We don't really fully know what it is he's trying to do, but he's clearly stolen something. And we're supposed to find this relatively perfunctory action sequence really exciting. And I was like that through most of the film. I, w- I was a bit ungripped by this. Mm. But it's not bad. It's like I am with a lot of the film. It's just like, that's all right, I suppose. Um, but they're, they're heading towards somewhere where they're just going to sort of try and fit in with the Empire and sign up, sign, well, get away, aren't they? Yeah, basically, they want to get out and, you know, and basically be free because they've been uh, essentially prisoners, aren't they? Yeah, they're kind of all kind of... Slaves is probably the wrong word, but yeah, Lady Proxima has all these people doing her bidding. Mm. But again, it's all a bit, it's trying to throw us into the action, but it hasn't established our characters yet, really. But, you know, I suppose the film's got a lot to get through. It's two and a quarter hours as it is. They established that they're like romantically involved and. They are romantically involved. Kira, she's called. This is, mm. um, this is Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. Uh, also from the delightful Terminator Genesis. Oh God, we just which, wrong. which is interesting, as Kira was originally the name for Ray. Ah, really? that I didn't know. That I didn't know at all. I'm quite, right, you know, quite. Either way, on the name, the name's fine. It's you know, it's got a bit yeah. of Star Trek in it, really, because it's almost. Well, yeah, Major Kira. Yeah, but also the spelling of it reminds me of Kronos. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, but uh, they get separated. They try and bribe their way through, sort of a. Uh, a pass, a gate. He gets through, she doesn't. 
and then he's got to kind of hide. And as he's about to be caught, he kind of goes up to a recruiting officer. And I have to say, this is this is all the problems of doing this type of film in one scene. It was weird that I thought of Godfather Part 2 while watching this, probably because we just did record like, the podcast or something. I was going to or... say, we only did it about three weeks ago, so yeah. Right, yeah, it would have been around that time, but I just watched that thinking, like, like, like what, what's your second name? Yeah, Andalini. Coolio. <laughs> Andalini, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I, honestly, Han Solo sounds like a perfectly normal star yeah. name to me. I yeah. think it's because he was on his fucking own all the time. That, 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 that for me kind of ruins the ruins the mystique. I mean, because there's you know various it's... memes that go around the internet about creating old Star Wars name with various things that you ate and things like that. Big fans of, but that does sound like within that universe, that's as you say a perfectly normal name. And it's just now it just kind of ruins the mystique of it. And first, cause I remember when this news like broke on the internet, they were like, "Oh, we're going to find out how he got his name and maybe like potentially even change his name." And we were and fans were just basically like, "But don't, big fat don't." Don't. And this is the sort of thing George oh. Lucas used to do. Well, exactly. There's exactly. got to be an explanation for it, you know. There's got to be an explanation everything? for everything. No, there doesn't. George, right. fuck off. What did you guys? What did you Sorry. two think? What did you two guys think? Did it bother, did it bother you? I mean, if you, I mean, you no, not really. Like, I didn't. I didn't care. Oh, I mean, it was like, oh, fuck off. I mean, it was silly and contrived, and I cringed a bit. But it, other than that, it's got no more significance. So I, I didn't really care about. it. I mean, later on, when the name comes up again in front of Kira, who didn't hear that, I was just surprised she didn't go, what? What the fuck's that? So, yeah, he's he's told, he want, he says he wants to be a pilot, and he's told most of them go into infantry anyway, but he's, he says he wants to be a pilot. It's like, fine, we'll have you flying in no time. Um, and we cut forward three years, and I don't even know what this is, because we're used to all the sort of fighting being done by... Stormtroopers, Stormtroopers or derivatives of stormtroopers, mm-hmm. snowtroopers or whatever. So this was a bit odd, but he's literally like a World War One infantryman. Yeah, right down and to like the you know the you know, the um, what they called now. Fucking hell, my mind's just gone. The ATSTs. You know, in the trenches, trenches. Yeah, right down oh, to okay. the uh, right the down to trenches. Yeah, it, it's got a very World War One feel to it, which was kind yeah. of interesting in its way, and it's kind of brutal. Like, 13 film people getting exploded and shit like that. Yeah, the first thing I thought was when I when I saw this was I'd quite love to see a whole film like this. This is kind of this is seeing the war as we know of it, where we normally and this, again this is what I like about these spin-offs is there's no Jedi and there's there's none of that stuff. So we're used to seeing Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber and heroics and all this stuff and. When we ha- we don't generally see. I mean, we saw bits of it in Rogue One, but not to that extent. Um, where we see the war in the trenches, the war at, at, in the eyes through the eyes of the grunts, and even looking at the Empire and the way the, and the, where the Empire fight are fighting. Yeah. Um, so I thought this was kind of like a really interesting little bit. And I think it'd be nice to see a whole film. We didn't stay with it remotely long enough. It was just no, a tool no, no. to see, well, here, here's where we are. And it's a way to introduce the Tobias Beckett character. Yeah. Who's basically posing as a, I can't remember what rank he was, but let's just say, you know, a, yeah, a, a general or whatever. Um, but he, it turns out he's stolen that. And he's he's gone there to seal some stuff, not realising he's gone into a war zone. 
and he's there with his team, only one of whom we meet at the moment. We meet Tandy Newton, who's Val, his wife. Yeah. Got problems with, with all of that, but we'll come to it. But I'm always happy to see Woody Harrelson. I like him in most stuff. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I just think, well, yes, I didn't want this type of film, but at least they show us something a little bit different here. Yeah. So I like that. And it's an expectation thing, because you never think Hanwood actually was actually at one point in the Empire. No, not at all. I did, but the, but then I, I've growing up with Star Wars, it's it was always that was always what the the given kind of original story for him. Like whenever it was mentioned, I don't know if it was mentioned in like any of the like the original novel or anything like that or whatever it was mentioned. Novelizations. It was probably EU, wasn't probably, it? Probably, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And it, it was always known that he'd. Was that's in the expanded, Empire originally. Stating the obvious, that's expanded universe. I realise we've been mentioning that for weeks, and you probably don't know what we're on about. For those who don't realise, expanded universe, we're talking about all the sort of spin-off books and comics and stuff like that that happened before Disney bought it, where they broadened out the story. That's all non-canon now. Yep. So it was always kind of thing that he got kicked out of the Empire, and uh, but I mean, from what I remember, it's because he had. Uh, Help Chewbacca escape from from somewhere. So, okay, but um, it's a nice lead in, which is yeah, it's a nice lead into when he, him meeting Chewie, and, and again a bit of a callback to a Jedi. Yeah, just before we get to that, the key thing, of course, is that he's he's thrown into a cell, very Rancor Beast style, mm. um, because he's tried to sort of blackmail um, Tobias to take him with or with him off the off out of there. And Tobias has immediately shopped him as a deserter to his superiors without his superiors knowing that Tobias himself is posing as someone, mm. someone he's not. Um, so he's thrown into this sort of underground cell with a sort of grate up to sort of ground level to feed him to the beast, which has got very rank or beast kind of mm. feel yeah. to yeah, it. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of when I said the beast. That's what I was expecting. Beast aftershave, take one. <laughs> Neil mainly. Yeah. I was like, Rocky 2 was on TV last night. It was actually Rocky 2, yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> I meant to message you, but I turned so, my phone uh, off at that point. First thoughts on Rocky 2, folks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All right. Now, I have to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm having a minor gripe with a load of this. I love his meeting with Chewbacca. Oh, right down to the fact that Chewbacca is matted and filthy and. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. it played really yeah, well for me. That's a fun scene. Yeah, it did play out really well. One of the complaints I heard, because I've seen some reviews of this now, and I've heard this compute, uh, complaint more than once, is how ridiculous it is when Han speaks Chewbacca's language. <laughs> Didn't have a problem with it. And the fact I that honestly... we never see that again throughout the entire series. <laughs> that was so weird. But it's quite interesting that it's first time, first time we see it. Well, it's heard on screen. Yeah, it's the only time we actually so used to like Han just speaking in English and Chewie just like reacting to him and and, and saying something Wookiee and he's just understanding. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, it didn't it didn't seem that ludicrous because he would understand it, you know. He would. He would and, yeah. he's, and he's in desperation. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's being strangled quickly. Do something to get this guy. And again, this is the beginning. Yeah, so, to get his guy on my side. Yeah. So by the time, I mean, yeah. So by the time it's Harrison McFord, then him and Chewie have obviously established that relationship um, where they don't need to 
And I think the, the point to make as well, as I, I said in the last couple of weeks about um, how we've replaced Peter Mayhew now, because of Peter's age, you know, can't be yeah. hurt. Different, different guy in the outfit now. And I was saying how good Peter Mayhew was that you could even recognise some of his scenes at least. It may well be, I've got it wrong. But there's certainly a couple of scenes in The Force Awakens where you go, that's Peter Mayhew. I know the other guy is doing scenes, but that's Peter Mayhew. So when you, when we're reminded that Chewbacca's being played by somebody different, opposite Han for the first time in a whole film, and Han is being played by somebody different, the chemistry is there and it's immediate. Yeah. And as yeah. they escape and they're trying to run in different directions, that's really, that's really great. It's I think very, it, it, it takes a lot, It's very basic it? humour, but it's terrific. It takes a lot, but I do think like these two, obviously playing two different aspects of characters, they do create chemistry of their own. Amongst, you know, amongst the two different actors, um, and it does. It takes a lot to do that, but I think they, they pull it off really well. But no, I mean, I've got I've got no problem. Obviously, you know, the first time we hear sort of speaking, um, Chewbacca's language, I've got no problem with it. I just I just thought it was, it was a funny point. But obviously, you know, it just takes the first time that they've met and it establishes that relationship by that time that they, they can go back and forth. And one can understand the other perfectly, which is fine. But I just kind of thought, oh, it's a bit weird. But no, I I think this, you know, these scenes are brilliant, and showing like the the back and forth between them is so funny. And it's but it could easily be Peter Mayhew and and Harrison Ford, and it's just like old times, really. So it's, it's a lovely thing to see, and I really yeah, enjoyed they, it. They they stay together after this, and you have to be sort of convinced as to why they have to sell an immediate chemistry. Yeah. Because they stay together forever after this. Mm. So I really, I really, really like that. Well, they they, um, they cement that they, later on, though, don't they? Like um, in, a, in a really they nice do. way. And and I did find it funny. The second viewing I had with this, I went with different people, and they all kind of went, "Oh, I don't like that. That looks fucking stupid." The shower scene. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he stood there showering, and suddenly these hairy feet arrive, <laughs> and it's like you couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't have done this separately. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really good. So who are we with? They're now with Sam Beckett. Uh, Sam Beckett. That's Quantum Leap, isn't it? Um... So oh boy, right? No, oh boy. Right, they're now with Tobias Beckett, his wife Val, and what's this other character called? Oh, um, Does John Farrow character. Uh, let me look it up. Rio Durant. Rio Durant. Rio Durant. Okay, this is a small sort of CG beast with like yeah. four four arms and four arms, not four arms. Um, <laughs> and he's he's kind of the pilot, so that four already cars. has it. That already has him marked because you think well, Han will have to be the pilot eventually. Yeah. Uh, and they're being taken to sort of join in a mission of of basically robbing a train, aren't they? Hmm. And I must say, this is possibly my least favourite sequence in the whole film for a number of reasons. I, I think really, just to skip to the end of the scene for a second, Val dies. Yeah. Beckett doesn't seem to really care that much <laughs> for the rest of the film. And it's a very throwaway way to treat Tandy Newton, but she's not even built up enough to give us a shock value to it. No. So this was all a bit weak, and I found the action kind of perfunctory. The only thing that worked in it was that there's a couple of times where Han and Chewie have to work together. And Chewie has to trust Han. You know, Chewie, do that now. And that bit works. So it works in what it's telling us of character. But I didn't find it that exciting. I think... Um, but in, in fact, I, in fact I, just sorry, just to add, I think I found the sort of campfire scene the night before better. 
Yeah, because I, I think this is where I mean I still think the the action here is pretty just okay, generic, and I, and I think it works better when it's just like you're observing like the world around it and and what's happening with the characters. I mean, in the campfire scene, we established that he gets his gun, you know, which is which I which it establishes like um, assembles in from a rifle, doesn't it? He? he just like takes away the parts and gives them gives them like what the moments of the blaster, right. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think in terms of um, the Woody Harrelson character, uh, his character is meant to like sort of not really be atta- that attached to anyone, like relationship. This is his wife, though. Uh, is it his wife, or is it kind of like his kind of the his girlfriend partner type okay. person? Um, yeah. I I I I don't know. We don't get enough time of her to get her perspective. She might feel exactly the same, but he. Yeah. Okay. He, is he does make a point of like trust, make sure that you know, um, assume that everyone's at some point is going to betray you, then you won't yeah. be disappointed. Particularly when you're busy trying to steal a MacGuffin. Yes, especially. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he would have been disappointed in some regards, but he would have, I don't think he would have been. It's just the fact the campfire scene went out of his way to um, show us the bond between those two. They even have a little kiss at one yeah. point. Show us a little bit of humor from Rio. Show us that. Um, Han, obviously, we've already seen he can do the language, but show him talking to Chewie and Chewie having some stuff to say and the showing of a bit of warmth there. So this campfire scene was not for nothing, mm. you know, and I thought the action sequence kind of threw a lot of it away. But I did like I did like the campfire sequence. And when Charlie talks of a Western, how many Westerns have we seen that in? Yeah. And again, you're robbing, he's robbing the stage. It's a stagecoach robbery. Or a, or a train. Yeah. How yeah. many times have we seen that? Absolutely. In Western. I mean, I, I enjoyed the sequence. I mean, I thought it was fun, and I thought it was, again, because of Ch- Chewie and Han at the centre of it all. Um, but I just thought it was kind of a neat kind of set piece, and also those stormtroopers with the magnetic boots were kind of cool as well. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the kind of killing her there, and then kind of, oh, she's my wife, or she she was my wife, was just a bit kind of... I, I thought I, I thought he would carry like um, a grudge against Han for the rest of the film, and like a scene later, you know, as soon as they get on the Falcon yeah. spoiler alert a bit later on, he's like, "We got a good thing going here," and I'm thinking, "Well, it wasn't that good, was it? Your wife fucking died in your mind because of this guy." Um, and and of, also, I thought this was again overthinking the character because why is he in debt to Jabba the Hutt in the original trilogy? Mm. The imp- they got boarded and he had to drop a shipment. Yeah. Well, he's dro- he's dropping a shipment here, effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the instinct to survive, isn't it? It's like you think, if I hang on to it, we're gonna fucking die. Then there's no there's no brainer, isn't it? But um... yeah, funnily enough, Han has been a. St- if you if you take it, if you take the Jabba thing as well, he's not actually much of a risk taker. Han, for all we know of the character, he uh... does kind of. Self-preservation. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, he doesn't take any silly risks, really. Well, he does because smuggling is a silly risk in its first place. In its first place, but he'll he'll pull out of all of that as quickly as he needs to. Mm. You know, so I kind of like that. Um, yeah. And then they, but they, of course, they drop the shipment. They've stolen the shipment, but it's being sort of fought for by this sort of gang, yeah, um, which we don't know much about at the moment, except they're visually quite interesting. I like their design. Got a Mad Max uh, Fury Road vibe off them. Yeah. And there's also history, as we find out, between Beckett and Enfys Nest. 
Memphis Nest. Yeah, yeah competition. I, I have to say that name never stuck. I've got it in front of me here, but yeah, I'd never took that name. But very, yeah, there's a bit of a Mad Max feel to it again, which adds, adds out in the sort of, uh, you know, out beyond the front, you know, the frontier. You oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in, uh, the late, in the that later scene when they're all yeah. kind of... Yeah, that yeah. coaxium is being stolen. It's massively worth a lot of money. And it's being stolen for a guy called Dryden Voss. That's what the job was being done for. Mm. And uh, Beckett is very clear to them, we'll be killed now. So we've, we're going to have to go and talk to them. Han agree to go with him and they'll, they'll just say we'll steal something else. Mm. And so they're taken onto one of my favourite sets in the whole film, this, this yacht. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's got like, um, you know, like the, the sing, singing duo. Yeah, the establishing uh, Star Wars um, environment when you sort of go into like a kind of bar type place and you've got like some sort of weird sort of weird type music going on. You think, if the cantina is a rough, a rough sort of drinking pit, this yeah. is like this is like a this posh wine bar. But... This is the this is the posh wine. This is, you know, this is like the bar at Royal, you know, uh, like the Henley Regatta. Members only club. <laughs> yeah. Voss is kind of working for Crimson Dawn. We don't know much about Crimson Dawn at this stage. And they've got to just do some fast talking for their life. But to start with, they're just walking around the bar. And he's he's told not to talk to anyone, not to look at anyone. And he's tapped on the shoulder and it's Kira. who He's been kind of talking about one we thing we've missed is he's talked all the way since that first part of the film about working his way back to her to go find her, get mm. her off the planet. Mm. And of course, she's with Dryden Voss. She's on this ship. Looking very beautiful, dressed up, you know, living superficially quite a comfortable life. What seemingly is anyway. Um... That's what I mean, superficially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah. She is effectively a slave. Has mm. she been basically sold off? I don't I know. She's got that sign on her wrist, doesn't she? Mm. Which made me think of Skyfall. Yeah, I wonder if it was some part of um, yeah, same as um, Severine's character who belonged to basically... Well, I mean, that was... Whorehouse. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say yeah. Bond, even though it's still PG-13, is a little bit more adult in its themes. Yeah, that's... So I don't, I, I don't think it's meant to be a sex gang in the... Sex, sex. No, <laughs> I, I just, that's, that's why I did think, I think, is it similar to Severine's character? It was her allegiance to him, because I'm pretty sure that was probably the, the Crimson Dawn logo. Yeah, mm. yeah, OK. So they agree to go in... And this show their the, allegiance to, to a particular house. This is the first bit, Mike. They, so we go in to meet um, Dryden Voss. We've seen Dryden kill somebody first, and he's quite an unusual design. I think Michael K. Williams was a little bit more alien the first time round. Apparently, he was going to be half mountain lion, half human. He was, he was described as so he would have been like a CGI type. Right, okay. This version has just got a face that shows these kind of rare, very red scar-cum veins when he's angry and his eyes go red. Otherwise, he looks pretty humanoid. Mm. Um He's a killer. We see him kill somebody before he goes in there. Which, again, lots of Bond... You're right, Becca, there's loads of Bond flashbacks in this. Because <laughs> I, I actually thought I'd die another day where he was kicking the shit out of that guy in the heavy bag before he goes to meet yeah, Bond. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, we've got, to, we've got to see how brutal he is before he comes to meet our hero. But <laughs> the, fir- the, the first time my heart really sank, apart from Solo was where they promised to go and steal some unrefined coaxium from Kessel. And I just thought, oh, fuck, it's the Kessel run. And he says okay and sends Kira with them. No, I do really like um, Paul Bettany in this. I think, uh, yeah, he's a really said. good, very menacing character. Yeah. 
as a really kind of but he's like a gentleman as well. Well, that's he, just he that's just it. He's, yeah. He is pretty much like a bomb villain in, in the he, sense mate, that he, I'm sold. He'd be a pretty decent bomb villain. He would, yeah, I would agree. He'd be a pretty decent Bond as well. He's got really, really kind of like charming, casual politeness, but you but it's like but you know that you, you know you, 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 you will yeah. basically die like that if he once you know yeah. just, i think it's just in the, in the in the way that you go where you goes like well well okay, well i guess in that case and they're all like pretty much getting ready to get shot you know he's just yeah. you know he's just got a really nice sort of charismatic charm to him yeah so they send kira off with them and they go to find lando oh yes this is this is where the he, <laughs> well nearly wins the Millennium falcon nearly 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 it's slightly nearly I um, I really like Donald Glover in this. I think he's absolutely terrific. He's perfect. Yeah. He's perfect for the role. Um, fast talking, kind of charming, totally gabs grits the spirit of the character. And rocks a cape. And very like Solo in the original trilogy, hanging out somewhere that's not the most salubrious, but like doing it with a smile on his face. <laughs> I mean, he's, we, the first thing we see is like Robot Wars, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit Robot Wars, yeah. And we're I, I did think of Robot Wars. And we were introduced to the L3 character. Yeah. Yeah. Who has the most peculiar dialect. Now we know why. I just like... I just... I found this character funny because it's an in-joke. It is. They're complaining... All the complaints about diversity in that. And she's talking about equal rights, but she's talking about equal rights for droids, which is <laughs> funny because they're all wearing restraining bolts. But there is a point there because you go, actually... We've seen right the way back to the first film, droids feel pain. Yeah. And yeah. yet, and yet they're slaves. But it's not hammered as like a big point for us to think about and ruminate on. It's a joke. It's played for it laughs. Gives you like, um, like how the how the other characters react to it. Gives you like the way not like that. Let's not take it like too seriously because yeah. like because Lando like whenever she does mention that stuff, Lando or like. Basically rolls his eyes. Yeah, yeah it's just <sighs> like whatever. She's always banging on about this shit. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's a surprisingly heartfelt relationship. But we'll come on to that. First thing we see is a game of cards. Mm-hmm. He too likes to live dangerous things. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Oprah, and this is my wife. <laughs> my name is directing. <laughs> it literally, who was directing? This is my wife, Oprah. Yeah. Um. I don't know what this game they're playing is, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Sabat. <laughs> Poker. Don't really matter, does it? Snap, yeah. Snap. Buckaroo. Buckaroo. Buckaroo Bandit. No, I, I like the fact that we see the... Um, oh, what's, what's the... Is it the version of chess with all the creatures? On the, yeah, the hollow chess. See that in a bit yeah, hollow chess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. It's nice that we see that again. Yeah, that's before they get... That's once they get on the Falcon in a bit. Yeah. I'm skipping be... ahead, but I do like that scene. Yeah. Yeah, the scene here is quite good. Uh, Lando cheats. Do we know he cheats instantly? Do we yeah, see it? We do. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we see like cars like sort of slipping between hands. Um... This is misdirection. We're supposed to think he wins the Falcon here, hmm. but he doesn't. He loses. But they get Lando to join for a you know a share of the profits, which I think is originally twenty five percent. Uh, they get talked down over time to 20 because basically the ship's been clamped. I found that quite funny. <laughs> when they get to the Falcon, after all that smooth talking, he's been clamped. 
It basically boils down to like Lando is basically just talks his way in and out of things all the time. Like he's just, he is basically just like a con man. This the way he just sort of just grandizes himself and this big things like oversells himself to get like the best. Possible I, I deal. just think I just, I just think get Lord and Miller back and just give them the Lando film. I don't yeah. think they're quite right for a Han Solo film. They might be for like a constant series of capers with Lando with no meaning, weight, or anything to them at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just completely but, um, separate and like. Yeah, absolutely. Just a completely meaningless spin-off film, not trying to fill in any lore because there isn't a lot of lore with Lando anyway. Unless you want to fill in how he ended up running sort of Cloud City. So they get onto the Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon looks a little different. Mm. It looks clean and tidy. It looks very clean. Mm. It looks very shiny. It looks like you know um, JJ uh, Abrams uh, Star Trek film. There. It does. Yeah. Shiny ship. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And he's got his own sort of. Cape cupboard. Yeah, he's, he's got a very own cape room. That just made me think of Doctor Who when you find out there's like a whole area with all these thousands of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's interesting here where it's probably the closest Star Wars has ever been to kind of implicating about sex. Ah. What, him and the droid? No, him. This this the scene in the closet with him and Kira. Oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. They weren't far away from getting it on, were they? She's yeah, like in, implying she's done lots of bad things, which kind of has a hint of sex. Like you wouldn't want me if you know what I'd done. Yeah, uh, I don't a, know if that means film noir morality kind of, or whether yeah, femme yeah. fatale kind of thing there. Dead men don't wear plaid. Um, that's a Steve Martin film, that isn't it? Yeah, I know. Everyone's ever, any, that's the first thing I think of when I think of film noir. I don't think of a proper film noir. I think <laughs> you think of the band that we played, yeah. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, so they head off towards um, Kessel, don't they? Yeah, to steal this. Yeah, uh, the film wastes no time, does it? It just goes, it really gets on with it. It does get on with it. Um, and then what do we have? We uh, L three. Um, is having a lot of banter with Kira about how much uh, how Lando's in love with her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how would that even work? It works. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. And I think, again, the fan base went mental over this pansexual thing, and they only meant this, I think. <laughs> they just, they Wait, just so it's not even me. confirmed, though, because like, clearly, you know, Han- yeah. like, no, uh, Lando's like just very much like, fuck, so you keep saying these things all the time. I know. I mean, he's clearly fucking heartfelt when she gets hurt. Yeah. yeah. But So I think that's all that was meant by it. But again, the fan base are already whipped up to be pissed off about everything. So, um, they, yeah, so they steal the coaxium. This sequence of the film's pretty decent. And it, um, it's the one bit where I can really see Harrison Ford because he replicates the stance from all the sort of promotional when stuff. When he's shooting, shooting his set, gun. Yeah. That's replicating um, Harrison Ford's stance, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I don't remember much else. They break out a couple of Wookiees. Um, L3 gets all the restraining bolts off a load of them. What we'll else? We we'll get shot by Screaming Revolution by not really focusing what she's there's doing. There's another Wookiee there, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of doesn't look like a Wookiee. It kind of looks very different. Um, I suppose there would be. That reminded me of, if you go back and watch the... Because um, it looks like a Wookiee with a budget of £2.50. Right <laughs> to make it because you got Chewbacca who always looks pretty like good, and then yeah. you got this Wookiee that looks shit. And it reminds me if you go out and find um, the 1970s Incredible Hulk TV series, there was an episode called The First, right? Because he would go to from town to town, wouldn't he, trying to cure yeah. himself and getting dragged into things. 
And it turned out there was a guy in this town who had been a Hulk years before. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually he turns into a Hulk. And they have a fight. But I'm going to show you what he looked like. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just send you the link now, right? Because this is what happens when you try and make, like, you don't have enough money to do, like, Lou Ferrino a second time. <laughs> so this, guys, and for those not listening, uh, listening who can't see this, obviously, um, just go look it up. That is, <laughs> right, that, that's what, what it looks like when you do it with no money. And that made me think of that, seeing, like, the other Wookiee. They haven't got the money to do it, which makes me think that was done in reshoots. Oh. Yeah, yeah that's quite cheap. an old man just painted green. <laughs> so they have yeah. the money for the face paints and nothing else. Yeah, it's pretty much yeah, but um, L three gets basically blown to bits here, and yes. Lando looks genuinely distraught. Well, she she gets she gets blown up, and then what remains of her is put into the uh, the, the computer into the Falcons. Yes, yeah, that, that. yeah. So it wasn't yeah, was an amazing pilot. It's that the Falcon had uh, a droid, basically, who was established earlier in the film as an extraordinarily uh, sophisticated navigational tool. Yeah, yeah. Because she said, "I would have wiped her. I would have wiped wiped a complete, you know, her yeah. personality." But she is. Yeah. She's like the best navigation. Yep. They fly yeah. away. They fly away from. They fly away, and they time's ticking because the the they, the powers yeah. unstable. They immediately run into an imperial blockade. They're, yeah, that's the other thing. The co- unrefined coaxium has like a very short half-life and basically yeah. will, will kind of become unstable and blow up. Mm. So they've got no time to get to do the Kessel run. And it can only be done in like 20 parsecs, as far as we know. So what is the Kessel run then? Because I'm still... I'm, I've seen it, but I'm not entirely sure exactly I what... Fucking, I don't fucking know. It's <laughs> it's the distance between two places, you know, from one place to another. How quickly can you do it? They go a more dangerous route with the help of the sort of mm. L3 software. And I really couldn't give a shit about any of this. That's the problem, because this is one of the bits of the film that's only there for lore. You have a bit that reminded me of the... Uh... Uh, 2009 Star Trek film. Um, well, when they were being dragged into a gravity well. Yeah, and that's like to... the very, that's like the very end. They're being dragged into a black hole at the very end of the 2009. Yeah, I liked the the big huge monster though. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Visually, it was great, and it was the one bit of the film where I felt any excitement at all. And the way it got stripped apart as well. Yeah, that was cool. Um, and they get away and just head to a planet to process this stuff. Yeah. The Kessel Run is from Kessel to this Savarine place to um, to process mm. it. It's not that. I don't think it's that well thought out, to be honest with you. But they've got to get from one place to another in a shorter distance and faster time than this stuff's going to survive mm. without blowing them up. So they have to find a faster route. And, and, and they kind of... basically go with the plan of, well, I'm going to go at light speed, but at, a, at sideways to fit into the uh, enclosing gap. Yeah, that's right, because it's all closing in on them. Yeah, um, so it's like it's kind of like a kind of almost like you know, yeah. this is the best shot we got, so we're going to take it. Um, and as they as they turn on their side, Tiffany Case is all like, "Ee!" <laughs> uh, we also get established um, of the fact that uh, Chewie actually knows what he's doing. Yeah, in, in um, a... because Kira sat behind beside him as the co-pilot to start yeah. with. 
he asks her to do something. She's not quite sure what she's doing. Chewie knows instantly. Yeah. Because um, he's and then, like and then, and then some they, years then they old. Sit, yeah, then they sit together and have a wank because, you know, <laughs> because they're in their, their famous spots that we know them. They give each other some knowing looks. They do it in the end of the film. It's the film jerking itself off, but there you go. And they had to go and basically get this stuff refined. Uh, yeah, so, well, basically the big secret is, is that, but it, essentially they use a little bit of the, the the stuff to kind of get out and then they light speed out of there and they go straight to um, the drop-off. Which is, Nest yeah. shows yeah. up. Yeah, and the, the, the ship is trashed. Because mm. that's quite funny. You've got, like, Lando <laughs> looking at it. <laughs> I never want to see you again, <laughs> to harm. Which, again, is all very knowing, but it is funny because the thing is just trashed. Yeah. Emphis turns up, and the bit I love is the again very like a western. He stands forward, ready to do the shootout. Ready is ready his gun, just like he does in the, the cantina in A New Hope, and says, "I've only got to give the signal, and all my men are going to come out of that shit." <laughs> and <laughs> just, it just flies and, off. <laughs> it flies off, and then he just sort of steps back and says, "Sorry." <laughs> yeah, yeah, go with your plan. <laughs> that, that's funny. That is funny, and she reveals herself. And it turns out she's kind of a very pale, ginger, freckly young lady. And they're just rebels trying to prevent this group gaining more power. Crimson Dawn are basically kind of part of the Empire, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, did they explain in what sense? Because I just nope. knew they were just like, they were just like a huge like gangster type type people. Like they were like, Bad element in the in the galaxy. I don't. Well, know. I, well, I'm guessing. I don't. I don't know exactly where it links in, but with Crimson Dawn and all that, and the Empire as well, and obviously who we find out is in charge of Crimson yeah. Dawn. If only there's like a uh, Sith in charge or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that in a minute because that was fucking dumb. But anyway, um, what do we get? We get any real sort of action here we don't really do we no i mean is i mean in terms of your main set pieces we're done really i mean we only have like a bit of scuffle later on but a lot of it is all just set up really now you have so you have the revelation of what, of what they are then they have to then it then they form a plan i mean uh, beckett kind of says i don't want to part of this and walks off yeah and he's thought right can okay, we form a plan to kind of like not give it to um uh, Drayden Voss. Yeah. And and then, and then then they go and see him. Yeah. And he actually does go in with like the real stuff, but Yeah. They they they, they kind of like blag it. Yeah, they sort of That's it's quite a neat little moment because you think it's gonna be her that that dobbed him in. Yeah. And it and it isn't. It's Beckett who we thought had walked off. Yeah. Yeah. So it just we get a bit of action here, we get a bit of a fight. The, the only thing I will say about the the fact that it was Beckett. Now I don't know this. I could be wrong because I, you know we watch value in that. I might have missed a few crucial things. I don't think a film kind of establishes it. Like how did Han reckon he would do that? I mean, maybe it might be part of the fact that you know don't trust anyone. I mean, but... I know he said don't trust anyone, but that's a bit thin, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, unless I'm missing something else, I don't know, but. I don't know, because he does look at Kira to start with, mm. but it's almost like, maybe it is not that he thought he would do it, but that he's been told not to trust anyone, so he's set up ready not to. Yeah. But then it's all people are predictable. That was his other saying. Mm. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I don't think it's really well done, but we do get a little bit of action here. So we've got a double double cross. Um, and then we basically end up with E disappears with Chewbacca as a hostage, I think. Kira yeah. kills Voss. We think she's going to kill Han, but she kills Voss. And then she contacts like the head of Crimson, T- Crimson Tide? Crimson Dawn. <laughs> Crimson yeah. Tide? She, she, she contacts Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, yeah. <laughs> what I found... Right, what I heard, before we say who this is, um, Ron Howard was offered a list of who it could be. So there were multiple options. In our universe, it would fit if it's one of these people. So Darth Maul wasn't the only one, but it turned out to be Darth Maul. Now, most cinema goers would think he was dead. I know, I know that that's not the case in the wider universe, but they would have thought he was dead. So they wouldn't initially, immediately, necessarily know that it wasn't just another one of his people. Um, but the thing that really just got to me in this, it made me laugh, is he switches on this double lopsided lightsaber <laughs> for a split second just to go, just to confirm. It's I am me. Yeah, me. Remember yeah. this? Why, why would you do that? It's... And you robotic <laughs> legs as well. Yeah, he's on robotic legs, and you can hear that. I only heard it the second time, but you sort of hear the servos in it. You can like, hear the <laughs> But yeah, he just switches them on, switches it off again, and that's it. Just fucking madness. But yeah, so Darth Maul is the head of Crimson Dawn. I, I wasn't expecting it for some reason. And Kira is now a sort of chief lieutenant, if you like. Mm, where, her, where do her allegiances lie? Very mysterious. She blames everything on Beckett, doesn't say anything about Han. Han catches up to Beckett. And basically, as Beckett's like talking to him, Han just Han shoots first. Yeah. He really does shoot first. Fuck you, George Lucas, the film. <laughs> um, shot. Should, should have come up as a little subtitle on the screen. And fuck you. Yeah, and screw he, you, George. He, he should have broke the, fir- the third wall and talk, turned to the camera and went, fuck See? you, yeah. George. I did it. <laughs> See, I told you it was me first. <laughs> Yeah, so look at the orders to go, oh, I told you. This didn't happen to the other guy. Wait. <laughs> yeah, this didn't happen to the other, <laughs> other fella. <laughs> yeah, she's off- he's offered the chance to go and join sort of Emphis Nest. He says no. He's been told about a job on Tatooine with one of the huts or a gangster there. Mm. It's obvious to us it's Jabba the Hutt, but I don't think the so dialogue we didn't would be... see Jabba. No, it's not. No, it's not. We saw him two films early and two early. I know, but never mind. He should never be seen till Jedi. No. Full stop. Um, so he's given a little bit of coaxium, which is enough for them to go and buy a ship. But he actually uses it to stake himself in a rematch with Lando. Where he, basically, we can in go a on a tropical as... planet somewhere. Yeah. It, basically on the set of Moonraker. <laughs> Did you all these Bond references that you didn't know were in this film? Yeah, all started by you going, did you catch the Bond reference? Now I'm seeing them everywhere. No, I, I didn't mean that. I and the slide a... whistle during the castle run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I typed it, I didn't mean the that. rebellion? On whose side? <laughs> on whose side? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I'm just thinking like <laughs> Stormtrooper T. Pepper. <laughs> Stormtrooper JW, yeah. oh my god. I like this guy because the second set he plays cards with him at is like a bit sleazy. And it's it's cool, it's really good. It's a different environment. He's wearing a different cape. You know, it's just like he goes around like pulling this shit everywhere. Cheating. Uh Han spotted spots the cards and steals them out from out of his wrist. That's why I was saying I don't know if we knew he was cheating in the first one. Yeah. He spot it here. 
and basically he wins the um he wins the Falcon and then him and Chewie get on board it, look at each other, mutually masturbate, credits. So so yeah, so if Lando didn't hate him before, he fucking yeah. despises him now. <laughs> I don't want to see you again, turns up, takes his fucking shit. I honestly thought of that episode of Star Trek where um they were in then modern day Earth with like Terry Gar in that. Right. And at the end of the film, like he says, "What wonderful adventures you've got ahead of yourself!" Because it's a backdoor pilot, yeah. and I could just imagine Solo saying that to Chewbacca at the end. You know, what wonderful adventures we've got ahead! Light speed, you know, bit of a cheesy ending, but there you go. That's it. The first Star Wars flop. <laughs> oh. I think so. I think this will get reevaluated a little bit. I think, but yeah, but when things cool down a little bit, I think people will kind of yeah, actually, you know what? I think it's a bit of a grower. Myself personally, I don't think it's. I agree. Far better on second viewing. I'll go first. I've got a lot to say. Uh, far better on second viewing. It wasn't bad on first viewing. It was fine. It's just a little bit perfunctory, a little bit uh, uh, heavy, too heavy on references. We don't need to be treated like idiots. And frankly, they released it too soon after the last one. The Last Jedi was still in cinemas in late January. Um, so this film was kind of hung out to dry, really. Had there been a little bit of time, bring it out at Christmas, I think it would have done better. Still isn't the Star Wars film I want, but with everything that happened, they did pretty well from it. And I think it would be a shame if we don't find a way to see Alden again as as Han Solo, even if it's not him as the lead, even if he's a side part of a of a later film or another film or he's just part of this universe now and, and use him like Marvel do some of the, maybe their second tier characters that you see them pop in and out of films. I would like to see the, these two again. Obviously we'll see Chewbacca time and time again uh, with the same guy playing him, but um, pretty decent, but up your game, Lucasfilm. You've done pretty well, actually. I don't have a problem with what you've, you've done since, um, since um, Disney have owned you. But this this isn't what you should be doing with Star Wars. This is lazy and pandering. But allowing for that, you've actually done a pretty good job with it. Did um, just a, just a quick question? Did has Han got a, a history with Obi Wan before New Hope, or was that the first time? I don't think so. No. Okay. No. no I, was, I was just wondering whether like they might met before or something, though, or someone I know, because they might they might be able to wait to have a like, cameo in the Obi Wan film. Just a passing question. I don't know. But um, might it, have with Darth Maul. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that as well. I think that's what led me to it. I mean, um, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I kind of agree with Dave most, uh, pretty much on this. Uh, I I really enjoyed it, but on second watch, I wouldn't object to have seen a sequel or maybe be, maybe have a uh, a Lando based sequel and have them be be the secondary characters. I don't know, um, but yeah, this is this isn't as bad. Uh, again, I think you have to be wary about building up on lore and destroying. Just having to having to explain everything. We don't need to see the castle run. We don't need to see all these things. Just have like, you know, their own original stories that are not based around anything. But overall, it's not bad. I just wish the action was a bit better. But you know, there are worse things. I would pretty much agreeing with that really um i think to its detriment obviously it's kind of suffering the same fate as um as the previous film like a, a, a lot of attention um has been drawn to the fact that it's been trolled quite badly um i do think at this stage we are suffering a little bit of star wars fatigue so it would have been best maybe if they waited till till um till christmas rather than or 
at least the kind of like December slate rather than summer. This does um, prove. Sorry to interrupt, but this does prove they're not Marvel. They're not going to get away with doing two or three films a year. No. Yeah. Even though it's effectively under the same banner, but yeah, it's not quite the same. But no, it's it's it very enjoyable. I so say they had some admin box ticking to do, and it was good to kind of see the origin of this character. Um, it was along at the right pace. There were hidden Bond references that you never knew about. Um, We've made up really, a load more tonight. <laughs> they, they're obviously not Bond references. Just obviously they are now. Nice. But they're just, they're just very similar. <laughs> and obviously, you know, and obviously Rocky Ron Howard's just well. confirmed he was thinking of Bond of the whole time. <laughs> ah, I love everyone how to direct a Bond film. So, um, obviously Rocky references as well that we spotted, Star Trek references that we spotted. Multi, um, this Christmas. Godfather Part 2 <laughs> references we spotted. Godfather references. <laughs> and Delini. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm very enjoyable once it got past the initial box ticking. Um, a really enjoyable, serviceable film. Would see again. We'll probably pick it up when it comes out on home release. Charlie, thoughts? Yes. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it, it definitely suffered from the fact that they released it at the wrong time. Um, not only for the fact that it's too close to the uh, the last Jedi's release. Um, it was a shit release date as well, wasn't it? But it was, well, not really, because it was released the same day as Star Wars was released. It was when, and those are the days it used to be on before Disney. It's not as good as a release date as it used to be. Back, don't know. Yeah. The world's changed. But the fact is that they didn't start marketing it till February. And when you've got when you've got a film where someone is playing such an iconic character that has already been known by a different actor that has already played, that has played it four times then you need to try and win the crowd over, as it were, and get actual proper marketing campaign in place, which they didn't have time for with a May release date, whereas with Christmas they could have. But it's all down to fucking Mary Poppins, isn't it? Um, because Mary Poppins is coming out this Christmas, and that's Disney's big release. Um, so I blame Mary Poppins, and I, I can't stand that film. Um, but... In any case, yeah, I thought it was really enjoyable. I'd like, yeah, I'd like to see these sort of films, but not original stories. Get these characters, like the Boba Fett one. I'd love to see Boba Fett in something like The Good, Bad and the Ugly, that kind of thing. Not original stories, just stories that are fun, that are kind of genre-bending, um, and that allows them to do something interesting with the characters and stuff that we haven't seen in Star Wars before, and that the tone of the main saga does not normally allow for um, but yeah it's, it's mostly the release date and it's got nothing to do with the fact I don't think that um, all these idiot fans that are trying to boycott Solo and trying to get Kathy Kennedy fired because of The Last Jedi because they can't accept there's a fucking women are actually being given decent parts in the story Grow up, get your hands off your dicks, move out of the basement, stop fucking around. Um, yeah, I agree with Charlie. Except feel free to leave, except feel free to leave your hands on your dicks. That's fun. <laughs> That's fun, <laughs> folks. These fucking assholes that seem to claim <laughs> that they they speak for the fans when they have no idea, and that it's just a tiny minority that, as usual, um, because they shout loud on the internet. People seem to think that they're. Uh... They speak for us all, yeah. No, I get yeah. your point. I get your point. I mean, we're saying the same things, but in different ways, Charlie, because you've just said, give us a Boba Fett film. I don't want one, but actually, 
we've got different we've got different ways of expressing the same approach you're saying take us away from the saga take us away from kindless endless references and make something that takes advantage of the fact that this sits outside yeah and and i'm saying the same thing we just might have a different idea as to what that would be because mm. I, I, I mean I'm, I'm really interested in the Fett film just <coughs> mainly because he's a villain so I'm interested how the, how they pull that off, and and that and again the Western anti-hero kind of thing. Yeah, is yeah. where he's kind of he's not. He's I mean he's he's kind of seen as a villain, but he's a bounty hunter, so he's kind of he goes where the money. He's comes. amoral. He's completely amoral. Exactly. So in that kind of space Western um, arena, then I think something like that would be uh, really interesting. Yeah. I prefer not to see a Boba Fett film personally, but then again, yeah, I could be proved wrong though. So I would be making one. So yeah, no I'm not going to go in order. Have we not seen it already with the earlier Star Wars movies? No, we saw a little kid who couldn't fucking act. <laughs> so we kind of we kind of got that knowledge already. So I figure well, that's not a Bo- that's not a Boba Fett film. That's, no. that's a couple of scenes with a little okay, again. This, this is the kind of thing we don't want to see in these films. But I mean, James Mangold is doing the Boba Fett film. I mean, we saw what kind of job he did with Logan. Well, I was going to say that that if which that is basically a western. A, I was going to say that's a totally t- tipple in the nod as to what it might be. Yeah. And James Mangold has done some really, really good stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm, I think what I'm saying is, I'll, when they go into production on a Boba Fett film, I won't spend the next year going, "Oh fuck, a Boba Fett film." I really won't, because yeah. I think I think you have the potential to do something really interesting with it. I think what I'm saying is these projects are only every other year. And so, you know, we're only going to see a certain number of them, even if they do add up over time. Um, And there are things I would prioritize over giving us the early years of characters we met in the original trilogy. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. So I don't want a Boba Fett film. Having said that, Becca said halfway through the review, give us the Lando film. And I suddenly thought, what could that be? Well, that could actually be a Lord and Miller type film. And I'd be up for that. A buddy movie. So, so it's not an absolute rule, but it's just a general perspective of, you know, they've gone from the Force Awakens end of things where you're playing it very safe to the Last Jedi end of things where you're very definitely not. This film that we've covered tonight falls much more in the Force Awakens end of things. Yeah, and I want to see more, not like the Last Jedi, but more of the approach of the Last Jedi, where you're taking some chances. Yeah, well, well considering this new trilogy Ryan Johnson has been given, where he's is going outside the saga. Yes, it sounds really interesting. Yes. I'm, I'm just really interested yeah, to see what he does with that. But yeah, but I mean, we, we, you know, Chris and I talked about it on a show the other night that some of the ideas that we pulled right out the air, they weren't anything we'd sat and considered. But immediately, I could think of two or three things where I'm like, "Why don't they do something like that? Why don't they yeah. do something like that?" But hey, yeah, they're you're doing like a, like a political film, like you know, like uh, like all the president's men, but in well, the Senate yeah, I mean, and things was, like that. Yeah, but, and I would say, well, you know, the Jedi on the run, you know, after Order sixty six, mm-hmm. and um, what was the other one I, I, I talked about? There were two or three where I just said, but you would have to accept in some cases that you are chasing Solo's level mm-hmm. of box office, not Rogue One's. Because if you yeah. do political intrigue at the Senate, it's not going to do a billion. No, no. Right? So cut your cloth accordingly, but play with genre. Be brave. But, um, you know, I, but then I would be changing the release schedule altogether. I'd be doing, 
I think I think I'd be looking to do like a saga film, and then maybe a couple of spin-offs, and then maybe like a fallow year, spreading out the saga yeah. a bit more and resting it every third or fourth year. I, I just would, and I, I I think already they're in danger. They're just in a little bit of danger that this has stretched things now. Putting two out in five months has not been a good move. No. And it's funny, we talked about that as well, that, that there's a different appetite for different things, you know? Star Wars is probably the most successful saga there's ever been, franchise there's ever been. But it, it can't bear the weight of two or three a year. Marvel no. at the moment still can, even 20 films in, which is more, should we must remind ourselves. Than yeah. Star Wars Especially when you're given such a small window to market it. Yeah. yeah, like you said, you know, they kind of started in, it was released kind of like April sort of time and they started yeah. marketing in, in, in February. I was like, what, really? Yeah, absolutely. So we're all, um, uh, you know, as usual, we some of us are damning with faint praise, but we're all pretty positive about this. Yeah. This film came out all right and it's solidly enjoyable, but the, the, there are dangers in prequel filmmaking because it's like, well, we know we'd be all right. Mm. You know? If you know he's, who survives. When he's hanging off something, you know, for his life, like, well, he's going to climb back in, otherwise the later films won't happen. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. He, 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 die, he dies in this film, and then, like, we watch um, a lot, uh, Last Hope, and he just, like, sort of just integrates. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it really, some of it is in ex- execution, because when they were stuck in the gravity well, I suspended disbelief. I, for the moment... I, I felt the peril. Mm. Whereas it, a moment's thought would have told me the craft survives, Lando survives, Han definitely survives. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But I did get caught up in it. But by and large, the action wasn't good enough to do that. But the film is solid. And it, the film rests on very good chemistry between the two leads. And by the two leads, I mean Han and Chewie. Indeed. But, but I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I'm fat. I'm fucking clueless. Let's be honest. Charlie, we'll put you on the spot. Why? You've um, peppered it with fun facts across the film. Have I stolen all your fun facts? No, you haven't. That's fine. Right. Well, apparently, um, well, the voice of Lady Proxima was Linda Hunt. Ah. Linda Hunt, who is made history for winning um, an Oscar for playing a different gender. Yeah. She won Best Supporting Actress in about 82 for The Year of Living Dangerously, which is a Mel Gibson yeah. film, playing a male photographer, as I recall. I have seen that film. Yeah, she, she played yeah. like a, an, 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 an Asian, no, an Asian um, guy, basically. Yeah, flawlessly. Yeah. flawlessly. And she, was, yeah. uh, she was in Kindergarten Cop as well. Yes, but I'd, for, I'd forgotten that. Um, I'm teen agent if anyone remembers that (laughs) yeah I remember that that was great Um, I thought that was cinema at the time um, Warwick Davis apparently reprises his role from the Phantom Menace as Weasel yes is that what it is yeah because I I never checked out who he was playing also it's the Um, same character then I I didn't realise yeah because Becca said last week he was playing like his fifth character or something like that and I thought, oh, there'll be a sixth next week, but obviously not. No, that's his character. I think this is this marks he's been involved with ten Star Wars films now. I'm and, and, and various iterations of characters that he that he's played. 
Yeah. Does that include the Caravan of Courage and all that stuff? No. Well, in, in, yeah, including yeah, all right. um, okay. Ewok films. Okay. Yeah, because he was in those two, wasn't he? Yeah. So counting those, I think it's probably about nine or ten Star Wars movies that he's been in. So. Yeah, Kudos. I mean, it, it, it would count as six, I suppose. But if of the, the original Without, or seven, yeah. one of the two, yeah. All right, cool. What else? What else can we learn? Apparently, Ron Howard turned down directing the Phantom Menace. Oh, mm. Ron! <laughs> <laughs> what did you do that for? He, he looked at the script and thought, "Nah." <laughs> Get down, bro. No, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right then. Stick or twist. No, that's fine. Stick or twist. Oh my god. No, let's stick with George Lucas. I too like to live dangerous. <laughs> Apparently, he said um, he'd asked Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg. A Robert Zemeckis Star Wars film would interest me. Mm. And uh, it'd be a lot lighter in tone for sure. What for each, each of the film? For each film, so like Ron Howard first one. He'd asked. No, he'd asked them all to direct. So I'm guessing I'm guessing Zemeckis and Spielberg turned him down. So he went to Ron Howard, right? Okay. And they all said George Lucas should direct it. Yeah, they hadn't seen his work for a while. <laughs> and here we are. All right. Okay, are. but that uh, was just but that, as facts go, was just the whore's duvet. Becca. <laughs> the what? Sorry, hors d'oeuvres. I've not heard of that before. It's a bottom okay. reference. Martin, oh. Martin Wiley, if he's listening, got it. Yeah, he'll probably get it, definitely. Ah, yeah. oh, bottom joke. Last time. That's um, just the whore's duvet. <laughs> that one passed me by, clearly. A couple of fun facts. Um, another Bond reference would be that apparently some critics have said that um, the... Um, influence of Kira is in fact taken from Vesperland, obviously from Casino Royale. I thought of Vesper during that film. Yeah. I, I just suddenly thought she'd have been the wrong age because she'd have been less than 20 when that film came out. But I thought, I, could I see her as a Bond girl? And then I thought, she looks a bit Vesper-like. If they yeah. were making Casino Royale now, then I think they would, they, well, I think they would do well to she consider would, in a Bond she, film now, yeah. generally. No, I, I generally agree, yeah. She could be the next Bond woman. Yeah. Um, I came across a little fun fact on the interwebs. I don't know if it's right or not. Um, but obviously on the Dryden, on Dryden's yacht, there are many, collect- you know, many nice things that he's collected. Um, and it says, yeah, of all the treasures in in them, some of them, there are some things that might be recognised from other film franchise, Indiana Jones. There are Sankara stones from Temple of Doom, um, fertility idol from Raiders, and also the Holy Grail itself, hidden away on his yacht, apparently, which I didn't spot, but that would have been pretty cool. Indy's expenses must have been fucking massive going all the way there to get them. He submits his, um, submits his report to the Emperor. Oh, the by the way, I need on, this yeah. money. Yeah. Uh, other fun facts. Um, fun fact number two. Tobias Beckett and Dryden Voss obviously share names with British literary figures, namely the Irish poet Sam Beckett and 17th century poet Dryden. Very exciting. Um, for a couple of technical facts now. For the stamp work, um, two of Hans Speeders were built on custom-built chassis with a V8 engine, so you can go up to 100, well, over 100 miles an hour. Um, another fun fact, obviously this is the first film where we see the character of Chewie as, like, to lead the film. Um, so up to eight suits and ten heads were produced for the character. 
And last fun fact I have on this film is that the 25 pairs of iconic gold dice are about the um, about the Millennium Falcon, and of the 25 of them, three of them were made by a luxury retail jeweler at Tiffany. So, very exciting indeed. Yeah, iconic. Iconic indeed. Iconic item and an iconic ship made by an iconic luxury fashion house. Super duper. That's uh, the end of Charlie's little run with us. Yes. For a little while. Aww. When can we have you back? Well, he won't, he's going to come and do a Marvel music episode. We need yeah. to sketch Marvel out. We haven't done that yet. We'll sort that in the next week. We'll sit down and actually work out what's in that Marvel series, apart from the films. At the moment, there's definitely the films. There's definitely a rankings episode, because there's enough of them to do a rankings episode. Yeah. There's definitely a music episode. We haven't worked out commentaries, and we haven't worked out any when, for example, the music episode's going to come. Right at the end, I would think. But we'll see. Um, so we'll figure that out. Uh, next, it, w- it probably won't be the immediate series after it because there's about eight films in it, and we will probably throw in a little two or three episode thing in between. But then we're doing Planet of the Apes, and Charlie will join us for that, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Because Charlie's, Charlie's a big, big fan of that series, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Right. So, Charlie will be the fan in sort of now playing terms of the four of us on that series. Uh, we'll cover all of them. We'll cover the original five films, the Tim Burton films and the three new films. So that'll be a nine film series. Yeah. So that's, so we'll probably see, depends how long Marvel is. We may get you in just before Christmas. Otherwise it will be just after, yeah. uh, though you will be joining us in early December for our commentary on Superman, the movie from the 1978 yes. film. Cannot wait to revisit that. Absolutely, and uh, timely as well. We don't want to pay down the loss of Margot Marga Kidder. She was a large part of why that first film worked. And worked yeah, for so a generation, she is Lois Lane. She still is. She's still my Lois Lane. She is. Lane, she, yeah, she's oh, like, yeah. Not Terry Hatcher. Not Terry Hatcher. No, she is. She is Lois Lane. Yeah. For a generation and for the whole Superman franchise, you know, many have come. That sounds really rude. Um, obviously, others have many been made come after. Allow me to rephrase. Many have jizzed on. Throwing <laughs> <laughs> a plate in celebration. Um, Chris no, is man. actually using a spittoon for it. You can hear it then. And as you could hear, that was from some distance. So. <laughs> <laughs> is everything alright? It is now. It's a skill. It's a skill. <laughs> Apparently oh, okay. Superman 3 was released on this date in 1983. Yeah, this date, oh. what, today? So 17th of June we're recording this, folks. It'll be out yeah. in time. So, yeah, a week after, a week before you're hearing this is uh, the date in 1983 where we enjoyed a man getting the scoop of the century as he goes back for his 17 year after leaving school. Anniversary. <laughs> 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 what a film. Okay, social media, folks. You can find me at Simitronics on uh, the Twitter, which I barely post anything anyway. Sorry, guys. But there we are. Uh, and you can also find uh, all the old episodes as they're slowly disappearing one by one uh, off, uh, off iTunes uh, yeah, at Simitronics.co.uk. Why is that? Because we had somebody tweet us to say, oh, oh no, Sean. Somebody oh. told us that uh, all of the JBR episodes, for example, are still there, and they've done a similar number to us. In fact, they've done about 20 more than us at yeah, this other, stage. Other podcasts still have all the episodes going back there, so I don't know why. Yeah. Is it Sean Black, maybe? Yes. Oh, um, I, 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 I'm just looking it up. It's because their show's quite good. 
<laughs> well, is it is it sort of quality or is it just literally because they they pay more or I don't is, know. is it like there's got to be a reason thing? for it there's got to be a reason for yeah it. i want to know why because it's consistent it is like we keep the last 80 episodes we've recorded and if you count specials we've done like well and cinematronics episodes actually there's two or three on the feed of that as well we've got about 123 in total or something so we've lost the first 40 odd so i don't know we'll look into we that know why. if if you're uh, listeners if you're podcast toots as well and you know that what we can do to stave it off let us know yeah. in the meantime we should just other, be slowly dying otherwise everything we we're not we've still there's still the same number of episodes on there but obviously if as we add one we lose one but it's still on the feed though isn't it still like if you actually go on the feed itself rather than through itunes yeah still mm. find you go it. on the site it's all still there it's all still there um, you can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. Where can they find you, Charlie? Um, you can find me at Movie Drone on Twitter. Are you still doing your um, your podcast based on movie scores? Um, not at the moment. I'm trying to do something with it at the moment, um, but I am doing a newsletter. Um, so yeah, go to um, if you go to my Twitter, and I'll uh, I'll put out the link. And uh, you can go and subscribe to it, and that'll give you all the uh, film music news for the week. Ooh. That sounds really interesting. I look forward to, uh, to subscribing to that newsletter. Uh, Marvel-related news, I think we ought to just cover, Charlie. There's been some Marvel-related news in the last few days, score-wise. Do you just it? want to quickly cover that? Oh, yeah. Fucking Captain Marvel. Thingy. Uh, yeah. This thingy. Can pay for... Well, yeah, um, a uh, Captain Marvel, the upcoming Marvel film with Brie Larson, um, will be scored by a uh, lovely composer called Pina Toprak, um, who is a female composer, which is brilliant. Would and I know? Would I know anything she's done? No, have you, seen, have you seen Krypton, the TV series? Yeah, I haven't, but she's been no, scoring she, that. She's been doing that, yeah. Okay. Um, super. She, she did some music. She did some additional music for Justice League, I believe. Okay. Um, because DC didn't bother to get a female um, composer for Wonder Woman. Um, but and, and also, but also on that. To be note, fair, they did get quite a few women involved in that film, so I'm not going to get too. I'm not going to be too harsh on them. Yeah, it didn't help much. Wonder um, Woman starring Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely tits. <laughs> Lovely tits, Tom. But uh, there's, there's been a lot of people, news news places going, uh, doing their headlines as her being the first female composer to score a superhero movie and a comic movie, mm. which is bollocks. Not, um, that, not that true. What level are you starting at? The actual, um, the first one was a woman called, sadly, departed woman called Shirley sure. Walker. Yeah, Batman Mask of the Phantasm in nineteen ninety three. Well I suppose so, if you if you take, you know, a a list live action superhero films, yeah, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just just, just, just um, she wasn't she's not the first first. Well, Marvel have a bit of a history of sort of breaking new talent or getting people early, so if, yeah. if this gives her a it gives her some um, exposure and, and a star. She scored a lot, she just hasn't scored anything big. No, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see them nurturing mm-hmm. hidden talent, as it were. Uh, um, Fortnite, Fortnite is quite a big game at the moment. She scored that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, my kid plays it. All right, Becca. 
if you want to follow us on social media, you can at, at expect us to talk um, on Facebook. If you type in do you expect us to talk? If you type in the same on YouTube, do you expect us to talk? Um, obviously, email expect us to talk at gmail.com. And obviously, yeah, even though we are fast disappearing off iTunes, you can catch all the exciting feeds from way back when and Chris's website, cinematronics.co.uk. Excellent. And so, I think I managed to delete our profile off Letterbox the other day. Well, that's <laughs> that was fine. going nowhere. No one went there anyway, so it doesn't no. matter. Yeah, that was um, it. yeah, if only we had a format where we, we could talk about what we, we thought about films. Uh, <laughs> every, every platform ever. Yeah. All right, so we are moving on to another series, but as we, as is always the case when we're between series, it's Bond commentary time. Sign us off, Chris. Do you expect us to talk? We'll return with the man with the golden gun commentary.